Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Papa. Uh, it's an honor to get to preach this morning. I don't always get to preach while my parents are here in the building, so no pressure, right? Um, <laughs> the boss is watching. Uh, but I do want to continue on with the theme of harvest because that's the season we're in and that's the series that we're in here at the church. So right off the bat, I just want to open with my favorite harvest scripture. It comes right out of Luke chapter 10, verses 2 and the first part of 3. It says this, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now go, I am sending you. So the harvest here that we're talking about is the, the souls that are all around the world, in your neighborhood, in other nations, uh, that don't know Jesus. And, and Jesus is telling us that the harvest is so plentiful, there's so many people that have never heard the name of Jesus but yet there are so few people that are willing to go. So the point of today's message is I want to ask you, I want to encourage you, I want to uh, help you say, yes, I will go for you. It comes from Isaiah 6, 8, which is really why a uh, pastor asked me to preach this message to you. Isaiah 6, 8 says, um, then I heard a voice of the Lord, and he was looking to and fro throughout the world, and he said, the heart, he said this, um, who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Now this verse is kind of the key verse of my life. Uh, because it started in an instrumental, influential time in your life. Does anybody remember that season in your life when you were a little bit extra uh, influenced by other people around you? For me, it was in middle school. Uh, for many of us, it was that time. That's why we have the Grace students, right? Because we're trying to shape the minds of these awkward little kids. <laughs> I was such an awkward little kid. Um, ask anybody that knew me back then. And, and, and bands, you know, musical bands... They have the ability to influence. So I don't know who influenced you musically, um, but back in, in the 90s when I was a kid in middle school, you know, when other kids were listening to Metallica or Van Halen, right? Other kids were listening to, uh, when Jessica was listening to NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears. Um, and, and, and what was the other one? New Kids on the Block. Jill was a big fan of 98 degrees, all right? Um, other kids in my school were wearing T-shirts that, um, talking about the harvest, they said corn. It was spelled a little different. <laughs> and, and I don't know if anybody, Beastie Boys fans, there was a lot of chatter about Beastie Boys. <laughs> yes. Incubus, right? I don't know. <laughs> Weezer, any Weezer fans in the house? <laughs> so I didn't listen to any of those. Um, Somebody gave me a Mariah Carey cassette tape, and I <laughs> tried pawning it off on Uncle Jeff. Remember when he lived in our house for a week? I said, hey, do you want this Mar Mariah Carey cassette? He said, nope, I don't want your sin, Marcus. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I was listening to, I didn't listen to that kind of music very often, um, but I did listen to uh, a little-known band called Isaiah Six. Um, my mom's cousin was the lead singer, <laughs> and... That was, that was my jam, all right? Like, so they, they sang a song, Tear Down the Idols. Yeah, you remember that one? I even, I even, as a kid's church pastor in Iowa, I spray painted like a golden calf and other idols on this wall. And I gave the kids sledgehammers and I said, tear down the idols. We played the song. They tore down. It was not a great idea, um, <laughs> giving a bunch of six-year-old sledgehammers. <laughs> Wow, by the grace of God, I'm not a children's pastor anymore. Thank you, Sarah, for all that you do, though. Um, 
So the band influenced me. Not only were they passionate, obviously, about worship, because they were a praise and worship band, right? But they were also passionate about evangelism. And, and primarily, mainly because of Isaiah 6, 8, which says, who should I send and who will go for us? And then the refrain is obviously, here I am, send me. So that's really what I want to talk about today in this message, to be sent by God. It is to go to the harvest field, and it is to win souls for Jesus, but that looks a little different for each one of us. God's given each one of us a different circle or a different sphere of influence. He's given us different abilities, and I want you to discover what it is that God has asked you to do specifically and how that relates to reaching people for Jesus. That is the goal, okay? But how does it look and what does it look like in your life? Let's look at Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to hit the highlights here. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe, some versions say, the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 3 says, and one, uh, talking about angels here or seraphim, one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. Verse 5 says, then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And then one of the angels takes the coal from the fire or the altar, and he touches Isaiah's lips with that coal. And Isaiah says, now that this has touched your lips, or the angel says, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. And then I'll read the last verse one more time, uh, the, the last verse that I'm going to read today. Uh, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who should I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am send me. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the commission that you have given to each one of us here. I ask that you would reveal to us how we are supposed to go about fulfilling this great commission to go in and make disciples, to go in to preach the gospel to the whole world. Lord, and I pray that you would convict our hearts to actually go, to open our mouths, to open our arms and our hands to those that are around us, open our homes to those that are around us, God, so that we can see every person on earth. I have an opportunity to hear that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, uh, Charity and I weren't here uh, in Hickory because we were in Denver, Colorado for a uh, very special event. Um, you, you might, you know, probably know that I work for another organization called Every Home for Christ. Uh, it's a global organization with over 150 uh, nations represented where we have offices in over 190 places all around the world. And our international president was stepping into a new role and giving some leadership over as the new president uh, to Tanner Peake, who is the new, uh, new guy going to be leading uh, the ministry. So we had a really big celebration and, and, and a passing of the baton, if you will, uh, moment. And Charity and I were invited, and it was a cool thing. So uh, the first point that I want to point out is, is worship. Okay, we had a time of worship at this event. And Revelation chapter 4 says that one day every tongue will confess. It actually says that every, every nation, every tribe, every people and language, which no one could number, will stand before the throne and before the Lamb. And they will cry out, salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. They're going to cry out, just like we read in Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is coming. 
So every, uh, at this event in Colorado, every nation, every corner of the planet was represented. Maybe not every tribe, because not every tribe has even been reached yet, but we had the continental leaders from every continent and the regional leaders from every region of the earth and many of the national directors. So, so sitting right in the table behind me is the guy that's like leading the uh, continental ministry for Africa. And he's worshiping God in his language. And we, across the room I saw a guy who uh, was from a nation that, because this is broadcast, I'm not even allowed to acknowledge. Actually, several people were from creative access nations where if I were to tell you their names and their countries, their lives would be at risk. They could not only lose their jobs and get kicked out of the nation, but they could lose their lives or become in prison. Now we're all together in this room, and we are singing, this was just two weeks ago, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I couldn't even stand it. I was encountering God. I was just weeping and crying because I was able to see a taste, a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. It was powerful. Can you imagine the... the, the, the the atmosphere in that room. Even on a Sunday morning, we have the opportunity to glimpse that. We come from a, a diverse, uh, wide variety of different people. We get to see a little bit of the glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. So I'm spending time talking about worship and glorifying God and, and declaring how holy he is because I think that is imperative. It's important to say that first. Before we tell anybody about Jesus, we need to first see Jesus. Before we need to go tell people, hey, guess what? God is so good. We need to first experience the goodness of God. Before we need to tell somebody, hey, God can take away your anxiety. God can take away your, your sin. God, we need to first say, God, will you take away my anxiety? God, take away my sin. We need to first be like Isaiah, and we need to see the Lord. He says, I saw the Lord. And when it says that, when, when, what did Isaiah see? He saw the train of his robe filling the temple. Now, that might not mean a lot to you. We have taught on it before, but I think it's worth repeating that the, uh, the king would oftentimes wear uh, a very elaborate robe, and the train would be like how long it is. So, for example, the Queen of England, during her coronation, she wore the robe of state, and it, it's 14 feet long, uh, so it's like from there to like all the way over here, and then they have four young soldiers actually carrying the robe behind her. I guess they don't want it to get dirty, or maybe I don't know what the problem is, but they, it's just such a big, long robe. If I was invited to the king of England, uh, to his coronation that's happening sometime next year, and I'm standing there watching him walk by, maybe he's going to wear the robe of state as well, I'd be pretty, like, in awe. I'd definitely be taking pictures, okay? And I'd say, wow. Here's this thing. I don't know if it's a thousand years old, but it's hundreds of years old. And it's, it's, it's the, the length of the robe des describes the majesty and the power of that king and his kingdom, or the queen and her, her kingdom in, in that sense. So to say that the train of his robe filled the temple is to say that God is powerful. Let me, ex let me explain one step further. They would even take... Uh, if the king would go against another kingdom and would defeat that kingdom, he would take the robe from that king and derobe, disrobe that person and, and sew the robe onto the end. So if it started out as 14 feet, 
then they put another one on there and it gets longer. And to say, all right, I've defeated the Amalekites, I've defeated the Babylonians, I've defeated the other guys over here, I've defeated Spain or Italy or whatever the other nations are, and we're going to make the robe that much longer. Now, you've got a king walking in, you know, to his party or whatever, and he's got all these other kingdoms tacked on. You know, he's going to have a little limp in his head. He's like, oh yeah, got my robe. Need more than four soldiers to carry that thing. Because this thing is like a long robe, right? Isaiah was able to see the glory of God at the point that it, the robe filled the temple. Like metaphorically speaking, if there was a king, this is a metaphor, okay? Like if there was a king that was over sickness... Our Lord has defeated that king, has taken that robe and added it to his glory. So when you see the robe, you say, my God has defeated sickness. Our God has defeated death. Our God has defeated anxiety. Our God has defeated every other kingdom. Ephesians 1 says that now he is seated far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. So there is no sickness, there is no anxiety, there is no fear, there is no debt, there is no hunger, there is no poverty, there is no weapon formed against you that can prosper because our God is seated on the throne and his train of his robe fills the temple. So Isaiah was able to see this in a vision and you can imagine how he's just in awe and humbled before the majesty in a greater way than any earthly king could ever uh, even try to compare. Which brings us to the second point, which is humility. So we have worship and we stand in awe of how God is. And we say, you know what, I don't really bring a whole lot to the table by myself. You know, compared to other, I, I have a tendency to like compare, and compared to other people, I might have the temptation to say, oh, well, compared to them, or, or many of us do, like compared to them, I'm doing okay. But to, compared to God, I think we can say, you know, we need to stop comparing ourselves to the world and start comparing ourselves to the word of God and say, you know what, uh, I don't offer this world anything. It's not like, okay, the fields are, are ready for harvest and I'm going to be the savior, come in and try to save everybody. That's not very useful to God. What is useful to God is to say, wow. I am a sinner, and I'm standing in awe of God now. I don't know what I have to offer, but if you can use me, if you can use anybody, then you can use me, God. So now we're focused on his glory. We're not out there trying to build a platform or influence or, uh, you know, wealth or anything else so that we can be glorified. Excuse me. We're trying to build our life for the glory of God so that every purchase you make for every uh, ounce of energy that you expend you say does this glorify God or is this for pride and ego am I right so that's what we're trying to accomplish here today is that that humility let me tell you one of the most humble people at this conference in Denver was a guy named Jacob he was a very elderly guy he didn't speak great English he was born and raised and lives in India and Charity and I met him, and I just, I, you know, I wanted to, to, to go up, I was meeting lots of people, and he didn't have a whole lot to say, definitely didn't brag about anything, uh, just had a very short conversation with the guy. He was never uh, on the stage, he didn't say anything, but later on the plane ride home, I'm reading one of these books that I got at the conference, and, and, and his name is in the book, 
And I began reading about what he did decades ago, uh, living in India and having received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he wanted to take the gospel where the gospel wasn't already being preached. He found a village in a jungle in India. And he said that there's, there's a people group there that they've never heard the name of Jesus. In fact, they have never, um, their language doesn't even have a written language. They don't even have an alphabet. And furthermore, you can't learn about this language in any uh, college or university around the world because nobody else even knows it. Only the people in this village know their language. And, and Jacob said, I want to uh, take Jesus to these people. And, and, of course, there were risks of the, them being hostile and violent towards him and obviously not understanding him. So he went to college. He partnered with the Wycliffe Bible Translators, a big organization worldwide. He learned about languages. He learned how to translate languages in general and the origins and all that kind of stuff. Then he goes into the, the tribe, and he actually uh, creates a written language. He actually translates the Bible into their language and gives it to them. And the tribe is now a Christian tribe within this nation of India. And Charity and I are just hanging out with the guy two weeks ago. It's kind of like, this is the kind of thing you read about in history books. You know, the whole Jim Elliot, if you're familiar with him, and like stuff that happened 100 years ago. But like, you can still meet the guy. Like, <laughs> and, and, and he wasn't bragging. He wasn't in any of the videos. He was just another guy at this event that was humble. Like, trust me, if I translate the Bible into some unknown language, you're going to know about it. Because <laughs> I am not that humble. Like, I'm going to lead with that, you know. <laughs> like, but he was just so humble. And it makes me think about, like, who is sitting here in this room? And who else do we get to meet and we get to know that God is saying, I am using this person in such a powerful way. I believe that going on to the third point about sending, when Isaiah said, here am I, send me, I believe God wants to use you in an equally powerful way. It may not look like translating the Bible into an unknown language in a nation with millions of gods and all these idols and all kinds of stuff. It may not look like that, but I think that his task for you is equally important. What is more important than the task that he gives you, I think, is the response to his commission for your life. What I mean by that is I can't remember the person that originally told me this quote that I'm about to share with you, but it's kind of like this. When you're approaching God, you could say this. The answer is yes. Now, what's the question? I've tried that before. I tried that with, with Pastor. All right, I said, hey, Pops. He's like, yeah, I've got, Marcus, i got a question for you. I was like, hey, the answer is yes. Now, what's the question? <laughs> now, you got to be careful when you ask. Like, he has some very heavy furniture that if you're not, you will rope yourself in. <laughs> I am still recovering from the last move. My fingers are still numb. I'm not totally blaming you, but I think maybe we'll move on. But with God, you can trust God to know. I don't know what God is asking you to do, but I'm telling you that you can trust him. 
and that you can believe in him. And if he calls you to, you might say, oh, well, I'm not able to do, I, I may not be able, God, to do what you're calling me to do. Listen, God is not concerned about your ability. He's concerned about your availability. He says, here am I, send me. Before Isaiah knew the task that God was calling him to do, because God goes on to tell him about that in the next few verses. Before Isaiah knew what he was going to be called to do, he said, here am I, send me. And that happened because he started with worship. He started with the trust and the honor to God. And he said, here am I, send me. I will go for you. It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is yes. Amen? I had the ability to see this in action just last week in many of the people that, uh, many of the believers and members of Grace Church. You know that we partner with Convoy of Hope, and your yes to God may not look like going to Haiti or India and actually shining the light of Jesus. Uh, we partner with the Convoy in a couple different ways. One way is we, uh, because of your financial generous giving, we feed a bunch of orphans. How many? 10,000 meals a month. It's awesome. Uh, give yourselves a hand for that. That's amazing. So you don't have to actually make the food and, and feed it to the child in order for you to follow God's command in going uh, to feed hungry people around the world. Haiti's one of the poorest nations on earth. That's one way that we partner with Congo of Hope. But we also wanted to partner right here. We believe in being a light where you are. And if you are here right now, then we want to be a light here. So Convoy gave us a truckload, 30,000 pounds of food, uh, a couple of weeks, months ago. And um, I went to about five different uh, schools last week. I started out at Newton Conover High School, uh, and I dropped off some food there, and the football team helped me unload the truck. Then I went up to Gateway, um, which is uh, Pam Fultz's school. And, uh, man, that's a school where kids that, you know, they kind of get kicked out of the regular school, so they end up there. So Pam's got an extra... <laughs> extra job, but she's so great at it. And then I went up to Kayla's school at Davenport in Lenore, and then came on down. I went to Ellen's school, uh, which is called HCAM, also Brady's school. And um, we're also able to partner with lots of other schools, Webb A. Murray Middle School and um, other kids, several other schools that we're partnering with. But I didn't go to all of them. And I was able to see what it looks like when a teacher responds uh, to the calling that God places on her life to say, yes, I will go for you into a public school or a Christian school or whatever school or environment you're in. Some of these teachers, I have a feeling, just based off of my observation, could probably get paid more doing something else, <laughs> and it might have less headaches involved, all right? <laughs> I'm just saying like, but these teachers are going above and beyond day after day, even so much as to say, all right, I'm going to rearrange my schedule so that I can get a truckload of food so that I can help kids who are dealing with food insecurities on a regular basis. Can we just give it up for our teachers? <laughs> Consistently, they are shining the light of Jesus Christ in places where uh, someone like me might say, don't you have anything better to do? Like, like, you're really caring about these kids? Like, some of the kids have such a troubled past that you have, you have to understand, they need someone 
like the teachers in our church that are filled with the Holy Ghost to go and have the mercy and grace and to shine love because they don't get the same love in their homes that maybe I got growing up in my home. But these teachers are able to love the students in the way that they deserve to be loved. And it was just eye-opening and humbling and I was just glad that our church could be a part of this, actually helping their influence in the school grow a little bit bigger. My point in saying all of this is to say that you don't have to go to India. Please, if God calls you to go to India, don't quickly exclude that and say, no, 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 I'm going to be a teacher. Like, do what God's calling you to do. And it might mean be a missionary, okay? But if God says, no, that's not your calling— I've called you to be a teacher or to work in a hospital or to work at a bank or to be at home and to work in your neighborhood and whatever it is, then please uh, do that for the glory of God because that's what he's called you to do. You can use, listen, you'll have a circle, you'll have a sphere of influence that a missionary or a pastor will never get into. There, there are students in the school, there are customers at the bank, there are people that are in the hospital that are in a really, situ, you know, really uh, serious situation that as a nurse or as a medical professional, whatever it is that you do, you're going to be able to witness to those people in a way that I'm never even going to meet that person. And the guy in India is certainly never going to meet him. So my encouragement to you is to say, yes, Lord, I will go for you. Now, what are you asking me to do? He is asking you to make disciples. He is asking you to go into the harvest field. But how does that look in your life? Amen? Luke 10 says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I, got, I had a chance to learn about the harvest field more than I ever thought I wanted to know about corn when I lived in Iowa for seven years. All right? Corn, not the with the K, but the C, not the band. Um, corn, like harvest field. Okay, I I learned, and Pastor referenced it last week, that some farmers actually take out a loan for a million dollars in the springtime to buy seeds. They har they plant the seeds in the ground, and then they harvest the seeds in the fall. They pay back the bank, and then the rest is their operating expenses and their salary and profit, and then they do the same thing again next year. That's hard for me to understand. All right? In 2003, I took out a loan for $20,000 to buy a new car, and it took me seven years to pay that off. I can't imagine, like, a million-dollar loan, how long that would take. And these guys do it. Just year after year, up oh, it's spring again. I'm going to get another million dollars adjusted for inflation or whatever, and I'm going to do it again next year. I can't imagine the pressure. It's kind of like you got to be serious. <laughs> you can't be like a hobby farmer doing that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> right? And so these farmers are very diligent, and they're extremely intentional. They look at the calendar and they understand the steps to farming. When it comes times to the fall, they understand when the, John chapter 4 says, don't say four more months and then the harvest, but look, the fields are white and ripe unto harvest, but the laborers are few. 
You know, corn, when it grows and when it's beautiful in the summer, it's bright green. But it turns white, or beige, if you want to get specific. But white, behold, the fields are beige under harvest. Like, it doesn't have the same ring to it. But like, let's say they're white, okay? And they turn almost like they're dead. And the farmers understand there is a window. And I don't know if every farmer gets a loan for a million dollars, so I don't want to speak in generalities. But there is a window that they need to get their crop out of the ground and into the corn elevator at the co-op off of their semi-trucks or in their silos. And if they don't get it out of the field fast enough, then they will lose the crop. And once it starts snowing and once it's over, you're just done. Hopefully you got it all in. Hopefully you planned planned your schedule out right. There's a farmer that we know um, in in the fall he turns his cable TV off. Like, he actually calls Spectrum or whatever, and he says, cancel my plan for three months. Because he has literally no time to sit in his recliner and watch TV for three months. He gets up early, crack of dawn, and he gets in his combine, and he goes until it's dark, and then he turns the lights on in the field, and he keeps on going. There's just barely enough time for that window. Keep in mind, they only get paid once a year, all right, just at harvest time. Then they have to live on that for the whole rest of the year. Uh, Pastor mentioned it briefly, but we have a a, a friend that, uh, John and Peggy, and they are farmers, and and I I thought it was 1,000, but you corrected me. He farms 3,000 acres, which is a lot. And not this past spring, but the year ago, in spring, like he always does, he planted his field. And like all farmers, he prayed, and, and we heard about the testimonies of how successful God uh, made him because of his tithes and offerings, and that was a great message. Now, during that time, he was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And in August of last year, he actually passed away. You can imagine Peggy, this widow now, being kind of anxious. Most farmers aren't anxious about the harvest because they have a plan. But now here Peggy is. She doesn't have the ability to hop in a combine. She doesn't know how to do what he did. And this window is coming where if that harvest isn't, I can only imagine that they would go bankrupt, lose the farm, lose the 3,000 acres, and just be relegated to financial insecurity unless God did the miracle. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You can only imagine her reading that verse and and in some small way having an idea of what God understands when he looks out at the whole world. When he sees North Africa and the Middle East and Central Asia, and he sees billions of people that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And so, by the grace of God, the community in southwest Iowa came together in something that, is, that was a most remarkable and actually a miraculous feat. Look at the picture. In record time, half a dozen or more farmers got together and they were able to harvest the entire crop to make sure that Peggy was taken care of for another year. Knowing that each one could say, you know what, if anything were to happen to my family, 
I know that you're going to take care of my family. I know that you're going to take care of my wife. I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm going to stay up later. I'm going to get up earlier. I have my own family to take care of. But I'm going to get in the combine, and I'm going to make sure that in November of last year, this picture was taken as the family said, I am going to make sure that the harvest is taken care of. It wasn't about corn. It was about the, the person. That's what it looks like when a family says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. How much greater is the harvest of souls for something that will last for eternity? When God says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, he's looking out and he's saying, I love these people. I love each and every face. I know each and every name. And there are people that will die today that have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. He died for their sins. He rose from the dead. He offers eternal life to that individual. And some of them live in India, in nations that if we just gave a little bit more sacrificially, we could reach those people. Some of them are children in Haiti that if we just gave a little bit more, maybe another child could receive a warm meal at school. Some of them work in the cubicle next to you or live in the house across the street. And some of them have never even heard the name of Jesus. Can you come? So what I want to do now is I just want to ask... If God in Isaiah is saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah's response was, here am I, send me. Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, says, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. But verse 3 says, now go, I am sending you. He says, whom shall I send? Jesus says, I am sending you. So could you stand with me this morning? I just want to tell you that yes, yes, God is sending you to the harvest field, but I don't know what that harvest field is. I don't know what it looks like for you. You may not have the ability to give above and beyond your tithes and offerings, but you may have more than enough time to invest in the outreach ministry here at this church or to partner with the, the nursery or the kids' church. Or may, you may have zero time in the week, but when you are at work, working at a job, maybe you are at home behind a laptop and you don't even see people like very much throughout the day. You can be a missionary every day when you are at work, when you give part of that to the mission field, you're enabling people like Grace Church to, like, yeah, the donation was free, but we still have to put gas in our box truck. We still have to, we still have expenses related to taking the food to the schools. We do a lot of things from the Cherokee outreach to sending missionaries to Nicaragua and Haiti and like what we do with India, with every home for Christ. Every day, you could be a missionary. 
what I want you to do right now is to close your eyes and bow your head and just hear the voice of the Lord. Maybe you can have an encounter with Jesus this morning where you say, God, I see the Lord high and lifted up. And I understand I'm not the savior of the world. In fact, I'm a sinner. I just need to take a step back and recognize that. Lord, but if I humble myself, if I ask God that you would forgive me of my sins, just cleanse me, Lord. If, if, if you want to use me, God, someone who's sinned, someone who's not righteous in and of my own self, then I'll go for you. I'll, you can send me wherever you want. I'll invite somebody to church. I'll offer to pray with somebody. I will tell somebody about Jesus. I'll go to India if you ask me to. I'll take a trip to Haiti or Nicaragua if you want me to. God, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what the question is. God, but the answer is yes. As you worship God in this next song, just contemplate on those things and prepare your heart to respond positively to God when he says, who will go? Whom shall I send?
church. Wasn't that a good word today? Everybody received that. Praise God. Marcus, thank you. What a great job. As Janie and I uh, leave the house fairly early on Sunday mornings, and this morning when we came out, the sunrise was just breathtaking. It was just, a, just beautiful, so glorious. And Noah, David, and Solomon all talk about the sunrise and the sunset and the promises of God. And I, I like the part of that song where, where it says to prophesy and sing. And we should prophesy and sing over our problems and our situation. But the sunrise is also a promise that God has created for all of us as a, a reminder. And even though it may come in the form of a hurricane or a tornado or a snowstorm or just a beautiful morning like it was today, that sunrise and sunset happen each and every day and it's the part of God's faithfulness just as a reminder that even through storms of life God is still there the only problem with the sunrise is there's also a sunset and sometimes when we go through life the sun sets on our friends like John Carlson or people in your life maybe a loved one but statistically the time that Marcus took to speak today and present uh, powerful words into our our spirit three people died for every minute that he spoke that didn't know Jesus and so the harvest truly is white even all around us even in the Bible Belt even in Hickory or the surrounding areas where people that we know and come in contact with don't know the love of Jesus Christ but like the sunrise we should be a reflection of who Christ is in us we can do it even without speaking words although words of kindness are nice and important words of encouragement words of faith and hope and trust but if we don't do it who will if we don't go who will if we don't say here am I send me who will maybe for too long the church in general is waiting for somebody else to do what God has called them to do. And so as the sun rises tomorrow and yet as the sun sets tonight, maybe there's someone in your life the Lord is encouraging you to be kind to, to show God's love to, or maybe even to share with the love of Jesus Christ. To say, here am I, Lord, send me. Let me pray for you that the Lord will open doors for you to go. While there yet is still a season of sun before it sets on maybe one more person. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray today for lost husbands or wives, spouses or children, aunts or uncles, cousins, relatives, neighbors, co-workers, family members, friends. There's a harvest field literally in our backyard. Would you help us to be the one that goes? Thank you for that profound, impactful word today, Father, that we can be one that walks in humility, showing the sun. Let that wind of revival spread, Father, Lord, wind of renewal, a fresh wind, a fresh fire burn within us, Lord, that we can be the one, Father, Lord, just to say, here I am, Lord, send me, that we can share the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are around us, to the harvest field that you've placed us in. Go with each and every one here. Let this be their best week yet. Let them share, Father Lord, through actions and through words, the loving grace of the gospel that is Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next week.
Thank you for joining us for today's service. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing today. You can give at www.gracechurch.tv give or by downloading the app and select give. We can't wait to see you next week.